Welcome to 321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Cheryl McGee Wallace, a special advisor of iRelaunch and your host for today. Relaunchers are most concerned with getting the recruiter's attention. In this series, we get a range of opinions from seasoned recruiters and back-to-business program leaders. This is part two of our interview with seasoned recruiter Donnie Watson, Manager of Talent Acquisition at Zoom Info Discovery Org. Hi, Donnie. Welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thank you, Cheryl, for having me. I asked relaunchers what they'd ask a recruiter off the record, and most of the questions dealt with negotiations and fear of, quote, leaving money on the table. Generally speaking, how would you advise candidates to approach salary negotiations? So salary negotiations certainly can be sticky. There, there's a couple things that tend to be pretty cut and dry in, in people's job searches. And one is, can you get to the go to the office? You know, can you can you physically get there um, if that's a requirement? Um, and two, can you afford to go there? So certainly money is a pressing topic. That's ultimately why the vast majority of us work um, is to pay, you know, for our lifestyle bills, whatever those expenses are. So Salary is an important conversation to have. There are, it has been um, in a variety of different states now legislation around employers um, not being able to ask previous salary history. So a lot of times the conversations get framed around expectations, um, which can therefore throw the conversation back at the candidate to state kind of where they need to be to be comfortable I think being transparent about that um, and then if the company is able to hit where you need to be comfortable, um, then you can't worry if you've left a little bit on the table because that's where you told them you needed to be. Um, I've never knocked anyone for negotiating. <laughs> so if someone you know gets an offer and, and says, I really need to be at X um, after or is there a chance for us to get more, I'm certainly open to having the dialogue. My philosophy um, has always been for us to present our best foot forward. So the vast majority of times I'm presenting an offer, we are already at our threshold for bringing that person on board. Um, It doesn't behoove us in the long run um, to bring someone below market because once they get the skill set that we're hoping to be able to teach them and then leverage, obviously, the skill set that they have, which is why we're bringing them on board. Um, if they're below market rate, we're going to lose that person. Um, I'm really concerned about you know retention and trying to avoid as best as we can any type of regrettable turnover. So our practice has always been to ensure people are, are appropriately compensated for the level of the work that they're coming in and the expectation of the work where we're putting forth or expecting them to put forth. Yes. And I think also what's behind this question, too, from those that I've spoken to is the fear of undervaluing themselves, but then also giving a number that may be beyond the realm of possibility. And a way that can be dealt with is by researching what the market holds for that particular role and comparing the firm with other, uh, with competitors. Exactly. Researching it. Um, but every organization is a little different. So, you know, if you have a competitor that's in, you know, downtown of a, of a major city, you know, they're, 
their market might be a little different than a, a company that's just 10 miles outside of a city. So the research can be a little misleading. The other avenue that, you know, certainly can, you know, ask and hang up on the other side, depends upon the transparency you'll get back, is ask, has there been a range, you know, determined for this position? Um, you know, and that might give you a little insight as to whether your expectations are above range. And if they say there is, but, you know, you're asking for a little bit, you know, over it and you actually have wiggle room, you can still continue to have the conversation and see maybe there's a happy medium. Exactly. And then there are also benefits outside of salary that can be taken into consideration as well. Do you recommend that uh, aspect of the conversation once one has gotten to the point where they've um, approached the higher limit of a salary range? I think it's an important conversation to have whether you're at the higher end of the salary range, lower end of the salary range, because there are those other components that are, you know, really vital to someone's job search, depending upon obviously personal situations and what they need. Um, you know, what does, you know, health insurance, you know, 401k, time off, you know, flex schedule or remote, all those things can factor in. And, you know, I'm outside in, in the greater Boston area. We have free parking because we're 10 miles outside of the city, Boston. Mm-hmm. You have to pay either commuter rail or you pay for parking. That's a big factor for some people. Um, so it, it really will vary based on that personal preference. So asking any of those questions that would help you feel comfortable um, knowing where an organization might end up from a salary range, I think is a very valid questions to ask. And most recruiters, hiring managers might not know all the details of a benefits plan, but most recruiters are able to walk you through it with enough clarity for you to determine do the ancillary benefits um, make up for maybe a little bit of a, a lower salary. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Um, So as we, um, in the interview, we're at the post-interview stage, and there are a couple of questions here that come up quite often, such as, do thank you notes after an interview make a difference, and how do you recommend um, applicants follow up after the interview? So thank you notes certainly make a difference. Um, it might not be the difference between getting the job or not getting the job, but it certainly, I think, makes a difference in that last impression with a hiring manager regarding an applicant's sincerity about really being interested in the role. So I highly recommend someone shoot a note to the individuals that took time out of their day to interview with them. Um, doesn't have to be a novel again, um, you know, time and everything moves fast nowadays. So email is a perfectly good format for that note. Um, but a brief note, you know, if you had, you know, more of a personal conversation as part of the interview or a particular topic came up, you know, highlighting that, you know, to basically express that you were really paying attention and sincerely interested in the role. And if you are interested, you know, I would state it. Um, so I would certainly recommend thank you notes, particularly to the hiring manager, the one making the decision, but really to the entire team if you're capable of it. Um, and if you don't have the contact information, I would ask for it uh, from the recruiter or ask for it from the front desk if you're if you're walking out before you leave or if you forget to do that. Because you know, even though I interview and I'm on the other side of the desk all day every day, when I have interviewed myself for opportunities, there's been questions I've forgotten to ask. Mm-hmm. You can always shoot the recruiter an email back and, and ask for those email addresses. I've never known anyone to begrudge that. 
Okay. You know, so certainly feel empowered to, to do that. Regarding next steps, I would just ask mm-hmm. before, before you leave the interview, whoever you're meeting with, you know, last, whether it be the hiring manager or whether it being someone from HR, the recruiting team, um, I would ask, you know, do you know what next steps are? When would be an appropriate time for me to follow up if I haven't heard back? Okay, great. Now, a couple of other questions that I receive from relaunchers deal with not getting a response. So one I thought was particularly interesting. Do you generally discard resumes once the person is passed over for a position or do you retain them for consideration for different roles? That's a great question. So most organizations, depending upon size, but we can just go in in generalities, most organizations will have an applicant tracking system. That system, well, can at times be cumbersome even for the candidate to apply and personally it can feel a little impersonal because there are a lot of just generic communications that are triggered by actions in that system one of the advantages of those systems is the vast majority of them are searchable so recruiters typically will run a search in their applicant tracking system to determine if someone who's already actively expressed an interest in you know, our organization um, is in the system that has the qualification for a role. So certainly we, we do use that as a, one of the tools in our tool belt to be able to continue to pipeline talent for the organization because you've already applied, you've already you know, expressed that, that interest in joining the organization. So that's something that, you know, a passive candidate hasn't done yet, someone that we're trying to directly reach out that hasn't exhibited any interest. Um, so that is um, an avenue we pursue. So we certainly hold on to them. Um, that said, again, the system does get you know cumbersome. If you think of our applicant tracking system, you know, might have over a couple of years, might have four or five hundred jobs in it, have you know expired. Maybe you have 50 people <laughs> per job in that system. Yeah. Um, the numbers start to add up. So there could be multiple people in that. So if you've if you've applied for a job previously and you didn't get a response, or if you applied for a job previously and you got a response that was you were not being selected for a role, I wouldn't view that that you are not going to be considered ever moving forward. And I would highly recommend again being you know appropriate. Um, but, you know, applying again, if you had a conversation with the recruiter, um, shoot them a note to say, hey, you saw this, you know, other position was hoping to be considered already submitted your application. Um, I'd be proactive of that nature. Don't rely on the recruiter finding your resume from 18 months ago (laughs) for the application. Um, But don't feel that you weren't selected 18 months ago or five months ago that you can't reapply. Okay. And I think also um, with regard to the tracking system, it's very important to reflect the keywords that the firm uses in its job descriptions, because that gives the applicant an idea of how a firm will refer to a particular skill set. And you want to make sure that that's matching in your resume. Absolutely. Um, anything, whether it's on, you know, job boards or LinkedIn or your, you know, in your, in your resume, anywhere where you can draw direct line correlations, how your skill set is applicable, um, I highly recommend doing. So if you know that in the industry you're looking for these set terms, 
pop up more often than not, and you're able to incorporate them in a sincere fashion, don't just throw them on there for the sake of having buzzwords. It, it, it becomes pretty noticeable. Someone's done that. Yeah. But if, if you have that with an actionable item, um, as we talked about earlier about something that's results driven or accomplishment driven, and you can tie that to those terms, I would highly recommend doing it. It, it would only help as someone is trying to do some searching. That's great. I can recall during my early days of relaunching, I had a conversation with someone who was at a firm that I was interested in, and they suggested that on my resume, instead of using the word compliance, use the word regulation. And a small change like that allowed me to get a lot more attention because obviously it was a key word that was more uh, relevant to that particular firm. And I've also heard a similar story with respect to someone who made the switch from sales to marketing. So it's really a matter of knowing the lingo of the firm that you're interested in, which I think is uh, brings up the issue of networking and scheduling informational interviews with insiders because it gives you an idea of how that firm functions and the language that it uses. I would completely agree. Great. So we had this conversation before offline, and I thought your perspective here was really great. So it goes without saying that it is difficult, indeed painful, not to receive a response to an application. Can you please tell us about your day particularly the application process, so our listeners can understand the process from a recruiter's perspective and why they may not get a response. Absolutely, Cheryl. And, and I think we've touched on this in, in a couple of my previous answers and, and kind of centered around a couple of the previous questions. Um, and this is not to make excuses for individuals on, on my side of the desk and in our functions, but there is a reality to how much time a recruiter has between meeting with the hiring managers, actually doing the phone screens with potential applicants. Um, in my world, interviewing the applicants in person as part of the interview team when they come on site, um, all the other facets of our work um, and screening resumes. Um, the average recruiter, you know, in, in most organizations is probably working on somewhere between, you know, 15 and 30 jobs at any given time, um, depending upon the leveling of the positions and the way the organization is structured. If they're, you know, getting, you know, 10 to 20 applications per job per week, that's a lot of reading yeah. <laughs> that they're, they're, they're trying to get through. If you're having a phone screen with someone and you're, you average 30 minute phone screens, there's only so many hours in a day you're able to, to have those phone screens. If you're meeting with hiring managers to go over the requirements for the position, if you're meeting with finance to get the budgetary approval for roles and all the other facets of getting a position open and the process moving forward, it does take away time. There are very few, if any, recruiters that I know have the capacity or the luxury to sit behind their desk kind of in isolation and just work on the positions that they have and get to just read the roles, um, read the resumes coming in and, and call those that are appropriate. So unfortunately, as much as I don't like it when I've been on the other side of this applying, um, there is consistency around individuals not receiving response back. Um, we try as best as we can to respond. Yeah. Um, 
but even me being conscious of that and and having been <laughs> been on the other end i i can't say i'm flawless with it um things just get left behind when you're bogged down and when you're receiving you know multiple applications every day the in mails that are coming every day the linkedin connections that are coming every day in addition to all the other facets of your job um it's just tough to ensure being able to respond to a few hundred people, if not more, on a weekly basis to tell them that we're, they're not being considered. Yes, that I can understand that. That really is important for applicants to understand the perspective of the person on the other side. I know for me personally, if I send someone an email, I want a response back in five minutes, 30 minutes at the latest, and that's just not reasonable. I'm going to be myopic about my own circumstances and what you're expressing here is that the uh, the applicant needs to understand what's going on on the other side. And once you found your candidate, you're focusing on that next stage. I would dare say it's very difficult to go back and let every single person know um, that they didn't get that response because you've moved on to the next issue. To, to a certain extent, understand, I mean, you used a term of, of understanding I don't, I don't think they, anyone needs to understand, you know, what the recruiter is going through. What I think the perspective that I want candidates to feel empowered about is not to take the lack of communication personal. That's great. To still, to still feel empowered that I applied last time. I didn't even get a rejection notice. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to still apply again. Again, the, the reason I gave the insight wasn't for someone, you know, for it to be excused or for someone to feel bad, but for someone to feel empowered going, the odds of this having been personal um, are prime minimal at all. <laughs> so, so apply again, um, write another cover letter, reach out again. It might just have gotten lost in the white noise. So don't, and, we, and we've all felt it. We've all felt I was perfect for this role. I applied. I can't believe I didn't get a call. Well, you might be perfect for the next role and you don't know the circumstances behind why you didn't get a phone call or that first round interview the first time around, don't let that impede you if it's really a good fit from applying the second time or the That's third great. time. That's great. Um, Donnie, during the course of your response, you mentioned phone screens. Can you give me a little bit of an idea of what a recruiter is looking for in phone screens? I know that's very common now as well. Yeah, absolutely. So what what recruiters are trying to do is be respectful of everyone's time. So before we ask someone to, you know, come into our office, before we ask our hiring teams to take time away from their individual roles to interview someone and the in, individual to come on site for, you know, what could be a couple of hours, um, we set up an initial conversation. That, that initial conversation is trying to, to suss out both some of the, the fit as well as some of the logistical elements, um, you know, what we had discussed earlier, um, commute, compensation, do these things align enough to ensure that we're not all just spinning our wheels by having this meeting if we could never reach um, what you need from a compensation model or if you could never come to the office. Okay. The other thing is to give some insight for the candidate to be able to ask questions. So before they invest the time on their end to come on site for an interview. They have a better understanding of what the role actually is. They can be a little bit more prepared should both sides want to move forward for those in-person conversations because mm -hmm. they've now gotten to ask um, some of those initial questions. So it, 
going back to my approach for the in-person interviews is my approach for how people should deal with phone screens. It should still be a dialogue. Um, understanding does the role make sense for both parties? Does the skill set make sense for both parties? You know, can the individual get to the office when the company needs them there or work remotely and have the configuration there that supports remote work if, you know, that's become a little bit more prevalent nowadays? Mm-hmm. Um, and does the compensation make sense and have that all laid out on that initial call so when someone comes in for that in-person interview they're they're stressing less about some of the cut and dry items and more about really trying to identify is this the role is this the organization is this the manager is this the team that I want to be a part of and the management team also can do the same thing they're they're less worried about what this person needs from compensation because the recruiters already had that that conversation and they they're aware of where this person needs to be it makes sense and they've agreed to still interview and it gives a little bit it lets us get past the the, the I don't want to say the the other parts nonsense because mm-hmm. those are really vital but it lets us take out the hard questions that tend to be pretty cut and dry takes yeah. it off the table right away. Mm-hmm. So everyone can dig in a little deeper on fit skills. What really makes someone successful in a role and happy at a company. That's great. Thank you very much. Many relaunchers are focused on the pivotal first role post relaunch. What advice would you offer on positioning themselves for the next role once they're into the open waters of their relaunch career? Yeah, so so with that, I, I think it goes back again to really having that self-evaluation of what you're looking to get out of that next role. So really evaluating what that step looks like, what you're wanting to get out of it, and honing in on it, figuring out what questions you need to ask to be able to suss out from the interview teams, from the recruiter, from the research you've done, you know, online or through networks to determine whether or not this role is really the right fit. Again, I think, you know, positioning themselves, you know, it's still a personal discussion of trying to identify for, you know, one individual what they're looking for post-relaunch, you know, could be vastly different than another individual. So I think it is really determining for yourself what that next step should look like, mm-hmm. what you're willing to do. If there, maybe it needs to be a half step, yes. um, you know, and if it is a half step, what needs to be involved in that half step <laughs> to make you feel confident you can get to where you want to be in a suitable time that still fulfills the rest of, you know, your goals and, and your work satisfaction. Um, I would always tend to gravitate, you know, my career, you know, to the people that, that I'm working with. And do I feel that they believe in the, in the value of the role that I'm going to be taking on? Do they believe in the impact of the role that I'm taking on? Do Are they individuals and an organization of character in which I think they're going to support me in those endeavors? Um, and I'd always err towards that than whether or not everything just lines up because this company and those people will have a vested interest in helping you progress your career. Um, so I would, I would try to hone in on individuals and teams and companies you feel really believe in, in developing their people and, and building careers for them. Great. Thank you very much for that. The final question is one that we ask all of our podcast guests. What is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it is something that we've already talked about today? 
Yeah, it's something we, we've highlighted a couple of times. Um, don't take it personal if you haven't gotten the response that you wanted. Mm-hmm. Continue to plug away at it. Job searches, even in really good markets, are not easy endeavors. You are trying to find a career and a, and a, and a place to be able to develop your skills and, and hopefully stay. I mean, that's all ultimately the goal of, of every organization is to be able to retain their good employees. Um, but you should also be able to look and go, can I get these skills? And worst case scenario, would these skills be applicable to the next organization if that career path isn't here with you, the first organization you're joining? So I think be patient with it. I think don't take it personal if you haven't gotten the response right away. Those are items that I think are, are truly important to, to keep in consideration. Um, we all want to know why the resume fell in the black hole, myself included, yeah. when I've applied in the past. We, yeah. We've all, all wanted, and, and I'm probably more guilty of wanting to know why, because I'm on the other side of this more often than not. Uh, you know, But the reality of it is it doesn't, it doesn't help anyone to take that personal. Keep plugging away. Keep grinding it out. Um, and typically, if you do that on a consistent basis and you network, um, you should be able to find the right organization that's willing to help you relaunch your career. Great. Thank you so much, Donnie Watson, for joining us today. How can people find out more about Zoom Info if they're interested in joining your firm? Absolutely. So I appreciate the time as well, Cheryl. Um, easiest way is to go to our website, uh, www.zoominfo.com. Um, there's a careers page, there's an about page. You can see our, our products and our careers and all of our openings do get posted to our careers page. Um, our parent company, discover.org, also has a careers page as well on discoverorg.com. Um, they also post all their positions um, on that page. So we're very transparent when we have openings, they do get posted externally. Um, so please feel free to look at both both websites, both careers pages, both organizations. Um, Zoom Info, our, our main office is here in Waltham, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. We also have a sales office in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and then Discover Org has offices just outside of Philadelphia in Bethesda, Maryland, and then our corporate headquarters is in Vancouver, Washington, outside of Portland, Oregon. Great. Thank you very much. And thanks for listening to 321iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Cheryl McGee-Wallace, your host. For more information on iRelaunch, please go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, please be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.